No sooner had President Putin annexed four regions in Ukraine than his troops were forced to flee from a key city in one of them, and Russian tank defences were breached in another. The humiliation wasn't lost on Russian commanders, with the Chechen warlord Ramzan Kadyrov calling for Moscow to use tactical nuclear weapons. My guest this week from Kiev is Ihor Zhovkva, deputy head of the presidential administration. Has Ukraine backed Mr. Putin into a corner where he might use his nuclear arsenal? He may not have any other battlefield instruments to, to withstand the Ukrainian uh, counter advances. So I think Ukraine is taking this seriously and the international community has to take it seriously. For now, though, what has changed the fortunes of Ukraine's armed forces and can they keep up the momentum? How do they treat suspected Ukrainian collaborators? And why is the door to peace talks still firmly shut? Ihor Zhovkva, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you for having me. Your forces have had a spectacular month, 6,000 square kilometers seized back from Russia. You've just taken one of their key supply hubs in Donetsk and you've broken through in the south in Kherson. How important are these latest successes to you, both on the battlefield and psychologically? Well, uh, thank you for this question. Really, it is very important on the battlefield. I mean, uh, uh, if you take the first uh, days and months of war, many in the world uh, didn't believe that Ukraine will not be able only to even to withstand uh, the, the war and then to have any major success on the territory of uh, uh, my country. But throughout this more than seven months of the war, we, we, we proven to ourselves, first of all, and then to the world community, that we can not only fight with the Russian aggression, we can withstand this Russian aggression, we can stop this Russian aggression in this country, but we can counter, have counter advances and definitely we will, we, will, uh, we will have all our territories back. So that is why it is important that we have these counter advances on numerous directions. We have very good advances on the Kharkiv uh, area. Almost all the region of Kharkiv uh, oblast is, uh, is liberated by Ukrainian armed forces. Really, we have good advances in the Donetsk area. Remember, Russia wanted to capture all the Lugansk and Donetsk region immediately from the beginning of this open war because they were trying to capture it from 2014. Not any success is happening for them on the Donetsk and Lugansk region. And the same you write here on the south, around Kherson, uh, it's also uh, our armed forces are advancing. It's, it's more slowly than the Kharkiv region, but it's very important. So it's really a very important thing for the armed forces. And really, right here, morally, morally, it's important for our people, for each and every Ukrainian citizens living in Ukraine or having to leave Ukraine uh, for a period of time uh, when the war is happening. But all of us, president, Ukrainian people, Ukrainian government, are, you know, helping each, each of us in our own manner to bring this victory. And really, uh, what, is doing, what is done by armed forces of Ukraine is really admired, not only in Ukraine, but I think in all the world. Mr. Zhavka, what's brought about this stunning change in your fortunes on the battlefield? And can you maintain the momentum? Well, first of all, once again, is to the strength and mastery of Ukrainian armed forces. But secondly, this is due to the equipment, ammunition and weapons, which is coming in the more bigger quantities from our Western partners. Uh, most of the countries uh, uh, to which we applied at the beginning of war to bring us additional heavy weaponry, additional artillery, additional uh, tanks and armored vehicles, 
uh, additional multi-launch rocket systems are now starting to help us. And this is what really shows and this is what really helps to our success. Because you know, you cannot find only with a, with a, with a, with a gun. You fight the modern war and you make the counter-advances with the modern Western equipment. Yes, we've got some equipment inherited from the Soviet Union, but now we proved uh, again to us and to all of the world that Ukrainian armed forces can master the modern uh, Western NATO uh, equipment and we can fight with it and we can win with it. So yes, I think we will be able to gain the momentum. It was very important for us to start this counter-advance before the winter time because obviously it's much more easier to make counter-advances during the, uh, the, 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 uh, the time which affords uh, to do this. In winter time, usually it's much easier to fortify, to defend. So that's why uh, our armed forces will make everything possible to, to, to gain this momentum and to move forward. How do you expect the Kremlin to react to your advances? Uh, I'm assuming you don't expect Putin to accept these defeats, shrug his shoulders and walk away? Well, I think well, 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 well. He having 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 absence of success on the battlefield. Uh, you know, his uh, armed forces uh, definitely not the second strongest army in the world, as he portrayed uh, his armed forces. Probably he had uh, bad reports from his generals about the strength of the Russian armed forces. But as a reaction to these uh, success of Ukrainian armed forces, he probably you know had to 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 use these uh, several instruments. One of them were those sham referendums which he orchestrated. On on the part of the Ukrainian territory, which is now temporarily occupied. So he's trying to now to make an attempted annexation, another attempted annexation, the same way as he did it in 2014. That's why very important now not to, 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 to repeat the mistakes of 2014 when the world community, the international partners of Ukraine, let's be very honest, overslept uh, these actions which Putin uh, was doing. So really, this is a very good time when all the international community reacted negatively to these uh, sham referenda and these attempted annexations, voicing their position in different formats, at different levels, and thus helping Ukraine to fight the Russian aggressor. Isn't the danger that you push him into a corner um, and force him to react? He has, after all, weapon systems that you don't have. I'm talking about nuclear weapons. How do you assess the chance of him using at least battlefield nuclear weapons, especially if you keep beating him on the battlefield? Well, look, this is not the first time in, during this open war when he blackmails all of us, not only Ukraine, all the world, uh, with, a, with a nuclear weapon, or earlier he did it with a chemical and biological weapon. Well, I mean... Don't you this, take it I, seriously? Don't you take it seriously, the threat? Yes, we take it seriously. We take it seriously now because, uh, because look, uh, he, has, he may not have any other battlefield instruments to, to withstand the Ukrainian uh, counter-advances. So I think Ukraine is taking this seriously and the international community has to take it seriously. After all, we have several nuclear states in the world. They have to react. They have to prevent him from doing this. They have to tell him about the dire consequences if he even dares to, 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 to use it. 
partially on the battlefield or on some uh, remote areas, these she should not he, he should not even think about this. So that's why by president when talking to the world leaders, he he asks them, Ukraine is a non-nuclear state. We don't have a nuclear uh, uh, weapons. You remember we 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 uh, give it away in, in, uh, in, in 1994 on our own goodwill. So that's why we need the protection of the rest of the nuclear powers to protect all the world, not only Ukraine, not only Europe, all the world from using this uh, uh, nuclear weapon. According to some newspapers, NATO is said to have warned its members that Russia may be about to stage a nuclear test or some other nuclear demonstration as a warning to Ukraine and the West. Do you give any credence to these reports? Well, we believe uh, to all the credible information which our partners, Western partners, uh, uh, provide to us. And did, definitely... they, did they inform you about this? Well, definitely, I think our security forces and the intelligence forces have to be in contact with their relevant partners and have to uh, have this information. A defense analyst in Poland has reported that a train operated by Russia's nuclear division was bound for Ukraine. Have you received such reports? Well, again, I saw this news in the press. I don't necessarily uh, have this official report, and I don't think that uh, something which is leaked to the press is a real information. But again, we all should take it seriously. And if you had had such a report, would you tell me? <laughs> Probably this is not the information I should tell to the press. All right. Your president has promised you will liberate all the territory that Russia has seized. Does that include Crimea? And tell me how you can achieve that goal and at the same time minimize the risk to the civilian populations that are living under occupation at the moment. Look, uh, Crimea is Ukraine. You remember the format my president invented, which is a Crimean platform. This year we had a second summit of Crimean platform in the online format, obviously. Forty leaders participated, not only leaders of Europe and Euro-Atlantic area, but uh, leaders of African countries, Asian countries, Latin American countries. And each and every of them said... Crimea as Ukraine, and uh, Ukraine has all the rights to deliberate this territory. So answering your question, yes, definitely. Uh, when my president is speaking about liberating all the territories of Ukraine, he means all the territories, really all the territories, including uh, the Crimean Peninsula, so in the borders as of 24th of August 1991. Uh, the instruments might be different, uh, so it's, 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 it's too complicated now to tell how we will liberate the Crimea, uh, but definitely this, this, this goal is on our radars. Will we be seeing more guerrilla-style attacks by the underground units that you've been training now for some time, the sort of home resistance? Um, there have been a lot of reports in the press talking to these uh, members of your armed forces. Do you believe that these groups can make Russia pay such a high cost over time that uh, they will eventually relinquish the land that they've taken from you? Well, if you're asking me specifically about Crimea, we all noticed that something, something not good for Russia is taking place in the Crimea. I don't know uh, what is the origin of this, but definitely not something good for Russia. But, but, but generally speaking, look, uh, we have a rather strong armed forces, which you know what, no one can doubt. Historically, Ukraine has also has an experience of having the guerrilla wars. I think many in the world has forgotten that Ukraine has is, know how, knows how to fight. We are fighting with Russia throughout the centuries. I mean, for more than 400 years, uh, Russia wanted to capture Ukraine and try to capture Ukraine in different formats, be the formats of USSR or the Russian Empire. So Ukrainians have in their blood the knowledge 
the, the, the experience how to fight, including this, 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 this type of, 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 of war, which you call guerrilla war. But the, once again, uh, look at what our armed forces are doing. I think with this tempo, with this speed, with this support of international community we are enjoying, I think uh, the, victory, the victory is more and more near. Obviously, Russian troops are your primary targets. Do you also regard Russia's civilian administrators, those who've been drafted into the so-called annexed areas, do you regard them as legitimate targets as well? Look, we are a civilized country. We're not, we do not fight with civilians. It's Russia who fights when, 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 when they're failing to conquer the Ukrainian soldiers. They try to, not only try, they are doing day and night, uh, bombing civilian objects, civilian targets, and civilian people. We are fighting with the enemy. Uh, and the enemies there are armed forces of Russia. If you are if you are asking me about those uh, those still Ukrainians who are, for instance, you know, cooperating with the occupation powers, we have another instrument. We have another instrument. So the first instruments are being sanctions. And by the way, thank you for the international community who's already preparing the sanctions for those who were organizing those sham referendums. But the second option is, after we win the war, each and every who was cooperating with the occupation authorities, who was killing Ukrainian soldiers and civilians, will be, will be punished, will have his or her own way of responsibility. That's why my president is now arguing about creating an international tribunal for the, for the, for the, for the Russians uh, who are responsible for killing Ukrainian soldiers and civilians. That is why we are bringing this issue to the United Nations. We are bringing this issue to our international partners. I think this will be the best possible way to punish them. And what about reports of that there's been summary justice for some of your own civilians? A New York Times report in August said your special partisan units were killing those Ukrainians who were deemed to be collaborating with the Russians. Is that true? As far as you I know, know I, can, I cannot comment uh, on this uh, to you. I, I do not have this information. Almost 2,000 Ukrainians now face charges of having complied with the demands of Russian invaders or occupiers. They could get up to 15 years in jail. How certain can you be that they'll get a fair trial under the current circumstances? Uh, definitely, they will have a fair trial. I mean, look, I will give you a very, very, very vivid example. You know, when we liberated uh, the areas of northern Ukraine, which is Bucha, Borodyanka, Gostomel, we found an evidence of many atrocities made by Russian armed forces when killing, raping, uh, you know, children, women and men. And we brought international inspectors uh, from uh, the International Criminal Court, from our partner countries, uh, forensic experts, detectives. And they, uh, you know, were seeking for each and every evidence of this collective crime. But the crime is collective. But the concrete persons who are responsible uh, for the crime, they are individuals. And this is not only President Putin who gives the general orders. This is each and every general, each and every major, each and every soldier who is responsible. So believe me, we will be very scrupulous, again, with the support and help of our partners. And we will bring each and every person to the justice which he or uh, she deserves. Collaboration is, is difficult to prove, isn't it, Mr. Zhovkov? Because how do you distinguish between those who were forced at the point of a gun to comply with orders or physically abused or whose relatives were threatened from people who wanted to help the Russians? These are very tricky cases, aren't they? 
it's a very tricky cases, but I don't think we have the first ever historical example of collaboration. We will definitely use the historic experience. Believe me, everyone who is now collaborating on his or her own will will be punished. Mr. Zhovko, among all Putin's threats and denunciations last week was a, a direct call for you to end the hostilities and talk peace. We're ready for this, Mr. Putin said. How do you see that offer? You know, uh, from the beginning of this open war, and my, 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 my saw these numerous appeals and speeches and reports and whatever, uh, my president was ready for negotiations. My president uh, even created a, a, a team who was negotiating with Russian team. And you remember there were several meetings. Uh, but we were ready for the negotiations, for the, for the fruitful negotiations, not for the negotiations of the Russian condition, conditions. And you remember, at some point of time, Russians even started to listen to Ukrainian delegation and even took, you know, the draft proposals of Ukraine. Then out of a sudden, out of a sudden, they returned to our, their previous position. You can only negotiate with Russia on Russian conditions. You can only negotiate uh, on Russian red lines. You can only negotiate on Russian ultimatums. So when now we have the narrative or hear the narrative of President Putin himself or of his uh, cronies that uh, Russia is ready. If Russia were ready to negotiations, Russia would not have these sham referendums. Because you might remember the words of my president back in March or April, if Russia dares to make these sham referendums, there is nothing to talk to Russia. So tell me now, what is to talk with Russia if Russia captures illegally trying to annex four additional areas of Ukraine? What is the subject of negotiations? But hasn't your own president set out his own peace formula um, that you know in advance the Russians aren't going to accept and will never accept? I mean, he laid out five points, didn't he? Among them, punishment for Russia's aggression and restoration of security and territorial integrity. I'm ruling out a settlement, he said, that isn't based on the Ukrainian peace formula. So it's this way or no way. Is, isn't that the position? Isn't your, that your position? Well, uh, this was a peace formula, but look uh, where it was, you know, uh, out. It was really, you know, outspoken in the United National General Assembly Tribune. Really, this is a peace formula, right? You are the peace formula of President Ukraine, but the peace formula for the whole world. We have our own experience. So we do share with the international community. Look what is happening in Ukraine. Look what should not happen in each and every country anymore, because when the aggressor feels he will not be punished later on, because there is no illegal instrument, because UN is not doing the punishment, there is no, you know, a, a world policeman who can do this punishment. So in order this to have not to happen, my president is sharing his formula of peace. Right, you are. Any war ends with negotiations. So sooner or later, these are that kind of negotiations will have to happen, uh, and, and, and we will be ready to settle down the, uh, the, the, the conditions of victory of Ukraine. But in this case, negotiations should be resolved. Negotiations should bring together our partners together, probably, uh, with Ukraine. And that's why my president is telling about security guarantees after the war, in order this aggression not to happen anymore, because Russia, unfortunately, we may expect will be always aggressive. So we together now should think how this, not only to end this aggression, to bring the war to an end, but how uh, make uh, this aggression not happen in the future. Or if it happens, to have the legal guarantees uh, of which country does what in order to secure peace in this part of the world.
But for the moment, the, the door to peace talks is firmly shut, isn't it? For the time being, the only talks could be on the battlefield. Let's talk about the issue, if we may, of Ukraine and NATO, which has been there for many years and never goes away, NATO membership. In, in August, you criticised the alliance for not giving you any what you called solid prospect of membership, despite your army's increasing compatibility with NATO troops and systems. We know that NATO leaders are dodging the question in public of your membership. What are they telling you behind the scenes? Are they more optimistic about that in private? Well, you saw that on Friday my president summoned an application for, 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 for NATO membership and asked the, the, the NATO members to, to, be, to be thinking about this already now. He didn't uh, get much of a reply, did he? He didn't get much of a reply. Well, why not? Why not? Uh, on uh, October 2nd, we had a statement of nine president of Central European countries that they are absolutely welcoming the decision of Bucharest summit in 2008. I have to remind you, the Bucharest summit of 2008 was very clearly Ukraine should become a member of NATO. The first instrument should be membership action plan. What is happening now? We see that after Russia's open aggression, many things change. Look at what is happening with Sweden and Finland. They are almost entering NATO. Several protocols have to be ratified, but they are entering NATO without membership action plan. So Ukraine is telling, OK, we took notice of this. We are now fighting the war. We are enjoying the support and help of NATO allies. All of them bring us weaponry. All of them helping us with sanctions. All of them bring us financial assistance. But look, it's high time now to think what will happen after the war. That's why my president is telling, yes, let's think about possible entering Ukraine to NATO. Or, or now, let's already think about security guarantees for Ukraine at this period of time. So we are suggesting vast option of choices. And our partners, no one said no. I didn't, say, I didn't hear clear no say no, Ukraine will never become a member of NATO. The same as no one says... But you, but you didn't hear a yes either, did you? You didn't hear a yes either. Definitely. NATO works on the consensus principle. No one says that consensus, this consensus will happen tomorrow, but we shouldn't work on this. Now, Ukraine puts the purposes to NATO allies, and I think all, each and every of them should think what to do next. As part of a peace settlement, would you ever agree not to join NATO? No. That's out of the question, is it? Yes. Mr. Zhavka, what if in the end of this war you can't achieve outright victory and the best you can get is not to lose? Would you settle for that right now? Would the country settle for that? You know, I like the, 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 the stance which is expressed almost by all leaders uh, of, uh, of the world who are speaking to my president. It's only Ukraine and only Ukraine who will define the scope of victory. What will mean victory for Ukraine? And when you hear the narrative that someone is, you know, uh, inclining Ukraine to these or that, you know, conditions or whatever, don't believe them. Believe me, it's very hard, you know, to make uh, President Zelensky to go to any, you know, surrenders or to meet any conditions which are not coinciding with the national interests of Ukraine. We will fight. We will fight to the end, and the end is victory of Ukraine. Unfortunately, no one will tell you now when will be this victory and how many lives are still to be sacrificed. But again, we deserve throughout these seven months of war, it's only Ukrainians, Ukrainian president, Ukrainian people, Ukrainian armed forces who will decide uh, what is the scope of Ukrainian victory. You talked about thinking ahead to the end of the war. Do you foresee 
having to remain a heavy militarized state for the foreseeable future with security a constant priority always on your guard are you are you ready for that kind of future yes 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 uh, i think you're putting it rightly uh, mm, the situation will never be the same uh, in ukraine and around ukraine uh, you know Many tell about uh, the, 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 the common association with some other countries in the world. But look, Ukraine has its own destiny. Unfortunately, yes. And fortunately for us that after this war, after this victory, Ukrainian armed forces will be ever stronger, even uh, mightier, more experienced, more skillful, knowing how to fight with the modern equipment. Adhering to NATO standards, by the way, you know, when, when no, one, no one will tell you now or tell us now that you are not interoperable with, 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 with NATO uh, armed forces or whatever. We are more than interoperable. We are fighting now, again, definitely not with the second strongest army in the world, but definitely not with the weakest army in the world. So, yes, uh, this experience, this experience we are ready to share. We are ready to be this forefront of the whole European continent. We are destined to be here. We will not transfer Ukraine somewhere to, to, to another part of the world. So, yes, uh, probably this will be the case for Ukraine. Very briefly, some experts in the West have suggested that what we're witnessing with the conflict in Ukraine is the start of the Third World War, Third World War between Russia and the West. Is that how you see this conflict? No, this is how Putin sees this conflict. In his narrative, he's already fighting, <laughs> not only with uh, with the whole West, not only with NATO, I don't know, but probably with the most part of the world, except some countries who you know, who supporting uh, him. No, this is false Russian narratives, and probably this this would be a wishful thinking of Russia. We are fighting with Russia. We are fighting Russian aggressor. It's not Ukraine who started the war. It's Russia who started the war long in 2014. Then it started the open phase in 2022. We are fighting by our own. We don't have boots on the ground. Our armed forces are fighting. Yes, with the support of modern equipment, weapons, etc. But we are destined to fight alone and we are destined to win this war. Ihor Zhovka, it's been a pleasure to have you on Conflict Zone. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Thank you.